Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer at this time. Father, we come before you and we are so grateful to know that we can be saved by the power of Jesus Christ through the grace that you have offered to us. Lord, as the choir sang and as we sang the song previous to that blessed assurance, but I couldn't help but think of the grace that you have extended to us. The fact that even though we are sinners and we do not deserve the opportunity to come into your presence, you have made a way for us to do so. When I think of the fact that many of these songs we sing, often we know the words because we've heard them over and over and over again, or we've practiced them over and over again. Yet often we fail to actually stop and consider what it means. Lord, to know that there is a way for us to be saved, a way for us to have our lives redeemed, to have that blessed assurance so that we don't have to wonder whether or not Jesus is truly mine. Father, we come before you today and we are so grateful for what this message means. The fact that we have a hope and we have eternal life through your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we come before you today and we are grateful for the many acts that you have done for us, not only the saving work of your son on the cross, but rather the fact that you have been faithful to be with us no matter what we go through. Often we go through very difficult trials that we wouldn't want anyone else to know about. Perhaps it's a, a sign of pride where we, we don't want everyone else to know the hurts that we have, but we know that there is always one who knows what we're going through, and you are faithful to be there with us as we go through that. Thank you, Lord, for always being there to provide. Lord, you know the needs that are represented here today. There are individuals who right now need your physical touch. I pray that you be with Parker Rhodes, as this week he'll be having surgery on both hands as he deals with the broken fingers. Lord, I pray that you would provide for him, give him peace. Lord, I pray that you would be with Mike Rhodes as he has a second job interview. Lord, I pray that you would open up a door so that he might be able to be back here with his family instead of having to go to Sumter each week. Lord, I pray that you would provide for that. Lord, there are others today that are hurting. Lord, I think today of Elaine Pinion and W.E. Pinion. I pray that you would continue to touch them, continue to provide for their healing. Continue to be with Ray Flash. Continue to strengthen him. Lord, there are so many needs and there's no way that I could remember each one by name, but I know that you do. You know exactly what needs to be done. And sometimes you don't do things the way we would like for you to do them, but we trust that you are sovereign. We trust that you know what is best for us. And Lord, we give these needs to you now asking that your will would be done. Most of all today, I pray that you would Help us to truly have a desire for you and you alone. Lord, I pray that if there be one today that does not know you, that today might be the day of salvation. That today would be the day that they would surrender their lives to you and they would find victory and freedom. They would find a reason to live. Lord, I pray that you would be with those who perhaps they do know you, but it's been a long time since they intimately knew you. Lord, I pray that today you would restore unto us the joy of your salvation and renew a steadfast spirit within us. Give us a hunger for you and nothing else would be able to satisfy it. Lord, I pray for this church as in the coming weeks we'll be making some changes as we attempt to reach a different uh, segment of our community. Lord, I pray that your anointing would be on every aspect of it. I pray that you would already begin to speak to the hearts, especially of the college students directly around this congregation, this church building, 
as there are apartments all around us filled with mostly Clemson students, but many others as well. Lord, I pray that you would open up doors so that we might be able to share with them the name of Jesus Christ, that they might receive that hope and that promise, and that they too would know what it is to have the promise of eternal life. Lord, I pray that you would use us. Help us not to get in the way, but anoint us and fill us with your spirit so that we might truly impact their lives. Lord, as we prepare to take up the offering this morning, I pray that you would be honored. I pray that as individuals give, that they would give with joyful hearts. Know that they are investing in your kingdom. I pray that you would use these gifts for your glory. And that just as we just prayed specifically for one particular area of ministry for this new service, help us to recognize that as we give, we are supporting ministries like that. Lord, I pray that you would help us to give joyfully, but also obediently. Lord, we pray that you would be honored as we do so. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. At this time, the ushers will come and they will receive the morning tithes and offering. And as they do so, sometimes I forget to take up the offering. It's just because I'm a little scatterbrained. So I'm going to go ahead and just mention to you real quick while they're doing that. I mentioned already that there is a meeting that will take place after church. uh, And that will be out here in the choir room. And if you have any interest at all in working with the children's ministry for that new service, we would love to have you as a part of that. One of the advantages to having two services that will basically be back-to-back on each other, obviously the one that we have that is in here will be a little more traditional. Uh, The one that will be... um, Were you supposed to play something right now? I'm just making sure I didn't mess that up. I didn't see it on my list, sorry. Uh, The one that'll be over there will be more of a contemporary and alternative style of a worship service. But one of the advantages of having two services back to back like that is it opens up the door for individuals to serve during one service and then to worship during another service. Sometimes uh, Kadar sometimes struggles with having enough tellers. Well, part of the reason is because they count during the service. Well, now they can count during a service and then attend in the other service. Same thing with children's ministry. So maybe you would like to be able to do that. Actually, if you want to just play background music while I preach, that would be awesome. No, I'm just kidding, man. <laughs> Actually, I've been to a couple of churches where the preacher will start preaching and all of a sudden you hear his theme music in the background. When he gets to a point, all of a sudden it'll get a little bit louder. And, uh, and the reality is we ought to be joyous as we worship. And even as the sermon goes on, it is a chance for us to honor the Lord and celebrate his goodness. Uh, so thank you guys so much for being a, a part of our service this morning. Uh, Noah, sorry about the confusion there. I didn't realize you were up there for that. So, hey, this morning I, I want to talk about a gentleness that will help us conquer ourselves Uh, If you guys will remember, we've been looking at Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23 for the past, I don't know, a little more than a month or so, and actually it's almost two months at this point, and we've been looking specifically at certain fruits of the Spirit that ought to be present in every believer's life. There are things that, uh, regardless of how far along you are, if the Spirit of God is present in you, then these fruits ought to be present. Now, I do understand 
understand that many of these fruits do not always come so natural. Some of them, it'll take a little bit of work. Uh, For example, one of the fruits of the Spirit is patience. Patience can be a little bit hard at times, especially when you're dealing with certain individuals. They can kind of stretch your patience. At times, you're almost afraid to pray that God would help you with the issue of patience because you're afraid of who he's going to bring in your life to help you overcome this issue of patience. But in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, we have looked at multiple things that ought to be present. The list so far has covered love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and goodness. And then the last three we started last week, which are faithfulness. And today we're going to look at gentleness. And then next week we'll look at self-control. I think that these three are listed last intentionally because they show maturity when we're able to conquer the flesh and truly be filled with the Spirit of God. Several years ago, there was an author, his name is Robert Ringer, and he wrote the book, Looking Out for Number One. That whole book was the complete opposite of what I want to talk with you guys about this morning, which is we ought to have a gentleness about our lives. That whole book was basically put yourself first. Make sure you take care of yourself. Make sure that you get what you deserve. Shortly thereafter, he wrote another book called Winning Through Intimidation. It actually fits with his first book. But when we talk about gentleness and meekness, we read that Jesus said, the meek shall inherit the earth. When we talk about this subject, there is a tendency for many to kind of recoil a little bit. It's kind of like the businessman who was leaving church after hearing the pastor say that the meek would inherit the earth. And he looks to his wife and he says, all I've got to say is that if the meek are going to inherit the earth, they'd better get more aggressive about it. Well, the idea of being meek doesn't mean that you become more aggressive about what you are doing, but rather... It is about saying, God, you lead and you provide. In our culture, meekness or gentleness is often interpreted as weakness. Meekness equals weakness in the culture's eyes. It's not something that is often celebrated. For example, we are currently in a political season where candidates either talk themselves up or they try to talk other candidates down. Meekness is simply not rewarded in our culture. In fact, I would suggest that there were a couple of really good candidates early on in the primary process, but because they were meek, because of the fact that they weren't as outspoken, uh, they basically did not stand a chance on getting elected. It's simply the culture in which we live. Or consider when you apply for a job. In many ways, our goal is to sell ourselves. We want the future employer to look at us and say, that's the person I want because they have gifts and abilities that they need. And sometimes in our arrogance, we maybe even stretch the truth a little bit because we want people to know how good we are, even if it's not really true. Uh, Even in hiring uh, youth pastors, we didn't have this issue with Joshua, fortunately. Um, But at times, I've been in the position of trying to hire uh, staff for the church, whether it be here or in another church. And I've actually 
read through resumes. There was one in particular. I had led a mission trip to uh, Rosebud Indian Reservation in South Dakota. Uh, I was for the Wesleyan Church. There was uh, it was part of the Yes Ministries, which uh, they basically they would do youth ministry trips all throughout the year to different places. Anyways, I had led this trip to Rosebud Indian Reservation, and there were people who came from all over. Well, I'm looking at this resume, and of course, I would read through most of them. I admit there were a few that I didn't really read through, but I was reading through this one, and I noticed that the individual stated they had led a mission trip to the Rosebud Indian Reservation in South Dakota, and they gave the dates, and I thought, that was when I was at the Rosebud Indian Reservation. And of course, I keep records on everything. So I pulled out my notebook, and sure enough, here's the person that was applying for the job. So I called. And I said, hey, I just wanted, wanted to catch up with you. And you know, remember, I was the one who led the trip to South Dakota. And I said, I'm also the one you just submitted a resume to. And you claim to actually have led that trip. And I just said, you know what, if your integrity is not what it needs to be, then you probably shouldn't be a pastor. So either you need to remove the lies that are in there, or you need to choose a different profession. Um, There are times we want so bad to sell ourselves that we will compromise anything. And it's not a heart of gentleness. It's a heart of arrogance and pride. The world we live in encourages that, but the scripture does not. In fact, the Bible says that Moses, for example, was meek. In fact, we read in Numbers 12, 3, it says, he was more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. Now, I will tell you, it's a little bit concerning to hear that statement. Who is given credit for recording the book of Numbers? Moses. We're talking about Moses, who was more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. That's like John saying, John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Okay, well, it makes sense that John might say that because he knew Jesus loved him. But as Moses makes that statement, it kind of makes you wonder. However, this was not necessarily, we believe this was not necessarily Moses speaking, but rather it is God inspiring people to speak. Let's look a little bit at Moses for a moment. When the Bible says that he was meek or gentle, you need to realize that, first of all, it doesn't mean that Moses was perfect. Remember that he was one who he killed an Egyptian. Uh, He was one who complained about the disgruntled, grumbling children of Israel that he was having to lead and the fact that he was having to lead them through some very, very difficult things. He was the one who was reluctant to even go back to Egypt when God called him to go and deliver the children of Israel. He was the one who argued with God. When you look at Moses' life, there are a lot of things that show he wasn't perfect. But the Bible does say that he was meek and humble. Let me illustrate it to you by one example. It's the story of his brother and his sister, Aaron and Miriam, who were not showing him the respect that was due unto him as one who was the leadership, an individual who was called by God. They were grumbling. They had a spirit of discontentment under his leadership. And in Numbers 12, verses 6 through 8, the Lord addresses Aaron and Miriam and gives them a few what I would call choice words. This is what it says. When a prophet of the Lord is among you, 
I reveal myself to him in visions. I speak to him in dreams. But this is not true of my servant Moses. He is faithful in all of my house. With him, I speak face to face, clearly and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. And then God addresses Miriam and Aaron and says, Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? In other words, what he's saying is, you need to understand this is the one that I have chosen. Why are you talking like this to him? Why are you grumbling and complaining against the one that I called to lead you? Instead of complaining, you should actually be celebrating the fact that God has sent a leader in your midst. What's interesting is this was a family controversy. Miriam didn't like her sister-in-law, the lady that Moses had married. She was an Ethiopian, which meant that she was not Jew by birth. She was a foreigner. So Miriam complained. And so God gave Miriam leprosy. There's all kind of interpretation here. But the moment that she was stricken with leprosy, Moses, instead of trying to defend himself, he cried out and asked the Lord to heal her. I think what pleased God was the fact that Moses, who had unbelievable power, he had access to the throne of God and he could have asked God to do just about anything. He had great restraint in using it. And he displayed humbleness in spirit. Even when he was accused or he was slandered by his own sister, even though some under him were not all that loyal, he had a spirit of gentleness that pleased the heart of God. Many of us, the moment that Miriam began to speak up, if we were in Moses' position, we would automatically raise our defenses. Whoa, wait a second. Who do you think you are? Mind your own business. This is my life. And then, of course, God strikes her with leprosy. That's what you get. None of your business what's happening with me. If, you, if you'd have just minded your own business, then everything would have been fine. In our arrogance and in our pride, we would have thrown up those walls and we'd be ready to fight. Yet Moses responded by pleading that God would show grace to Miriam. Let me just talk to you for a moment about people and power. Each one of us has been given some power. Some of us have been blessed with more than others. It's interesting how people handle power in their life. It's very difficult to handle it correctly or with humility or with simplicity. It's very difficult not to abuse power. Many of you have had employers who as soon as they get their title, they become a different person. Or you've ran into a police officer, which I know most police officers are really good. But they get that badge sometimes and all of a sudden they want you to know they're in charge. And they've got that power. Some people know how to use power. Some will abuse power because it's difficult to handle. Because, because of the fact that power gets to our heads, I would tell you that sometimes we, we usually have to... De- deal with either success or failure. And sometimes failure can be easier to handle than success because you get power and you get this sense of victory, a sense of arrogance that you don't need anybody else. And you can do this by yourself. But in failure, you're kind of already broken. And you know that, you know what, I, I don't have what it takes. 
Sometimes those who have power arrogantly think that they can do whatever they want without gentleness. Yet many of those who experience failure know what it is to be broken. Moses pleased God, although he had power. There was a gentleness about him. He didn't need to put people in their place. He didn't need to fix everybody else. He didn't need to attack Miriam because she already realized, ooh, I might have messed up. And where does this meekness and this gentleness come from? Consider Jesus' words in Matthew 11, 28 and 29. He says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened or heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Listen to this. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. The Lord asks you and me to walk alongside him, literally to take his yoke upon us. And he will teach us this gentleness. Come and walk with me, for I am gentle. And I will teach you what it is to walk in that gentleness. What an incredible blessing. Perhaps the best example of this gentleness is found in the triumphal entry of Jesus, which is recorded in Matthew chapter 21. We read in verse 5, Say to the daughter of Zion, See, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus certainly wasn't trying to impress anybody when he showed up riding on a donkey. If he were trying to impress, instead, he would have ridden on a beautiful stallion, not a donkey. There was a gentleness about him that was very different from other celebrity figures. When the king came to town, when the governor came to town, they announced their presence. Often trumpets would be blown, the crowds would begin to celebrate, and the king or the governor, whoever it was, the general of an army, they would come in either riding on some chariot or riding on a stallion, simply drawing attention to themselves. Yet Jesus comes in with humility. Now let me say one thing before we actually get into the notes today. Here we are. I'm on page three and I haven't even got to the notes yet. Sorry. There are two steps or ingredients to becoming meek or gentle. The first thing is something that I've already mentioned. Realize that only God's grace can make us gentle. You cannot do it by yourself. It is not a natural thing for us to choose to be gentle. Much like with the issue of patience, you cannot do it without the grace of God. God is the one who makes you patient. He is the one who gives you that joy. He is the one who gives you that love. He is the one who gives you that peace. All of these fruits of the Spirit, they come to us through the grace of Jesus Christ. It's the presence of the Holy Spirit given to us directly by God. It's not human for us to be meek, but by God's grace, we can experience meekness. The second thing that I want you to notice is that it is a conscious decision to become meek. It is a conscious choice when the person who has power or position chooses to submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ and allows himself or herself to become God-controlled. There's a man named Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones who did a tremendous job of describing this gentleness and meekness. This is what he said. The man who is meek is not even sensitive about himself. 
He is not always watching himself and his own interests. He is not always on the defensive, all that is gone. The man who is truly meek never pities himself. He is never sorry for himself. He never talks to himself and says, you are having a hard time. How unkind these people are not to understand you. He never thinks how wonderful I really am if only other people gave me a chance or if only they knew how good I am. Self-pity. What hours and years we waste in this, he says, but the man who has become meek has finished with all that. To be meek, in other words, means that you have finished with yourself altogether and you have come to see that you have no rights or deserts at all. The man who is truly meek is the one who is amazed that God and man can think of him as well as they do and treat him as well as they do. He says that, it seems to me, is its essential quality. Let me read that last quote there. The man who is truly meek is the one who is amazed that God and man can think of him as well as they do and treat him as well as they do. There's no sense of arrogance that's present, but it is the realization that if anyone loves me or respects me, it is by God's grace. If anyone would choose to follow after me, it is by God's grace. I am no better than those who are around me, and therefore it is only God's grace that gives me the authority to do anything. The act of being gentle, in essence, is saying, God, I am yours. And if you choose to bring honor, then I will celebrate. But if you choose to cause me to be by myself and have not a single person willing to listen or follow. Lord, I will celebrate that too because I am yours. In many ways, this is all about surrender. Understand that gentleness is power when it is under God's control. We're going to look at five elements of what it means to be gentle, things that ought to be present. And we're going to use the word power to help kind of start each one of those points. The first one is this, individuals who are gentle, it will be evident in their personality when they are under God's control. A gentle person takes the personality that God has given them, unique as it is, and places it under the control of God. Consider Jesus' inner circle, Peter, James, and John, the three individuals that they seemed like they were always with Jesus. Now, this is, by the way, a great illustration of how God doesn't give up on us when we're not quite as gentle as we should be or not quite as meek. It's a beautiful illustration of how God just keeps loving us even when we blow it over and over and over again. Remember the time that Christ and had sent James and John ahead to Samaria. It was a time when Jesus was extremely unpopular. There were many who wanted nothing to do with him. And even those who did, they only wanted to be with him because they wanted something to gain. So when John and James go, they don't necessarily get this welcome to town kind of experience. In fact, they aren't received well at all. And really the bottom line is that Jesus and his disciples weren't going to be able to stay at the Samaritan Holiday Inn that night. And they were angry and they said, 
let's call fire down from heaven. I got to tell you, that doesn't sound very meek. It doesn't sound very humble. They look and they're angry because they didn't get the best accommodations in town. They didn't hear this great welcome from all the people. And basically they look and they become bitter. Let's call fire down from heaven. Now I will tell you, there are times that I've wanted to call fire down from heaven on individuals. But I will tell you, that is not a sign of meekness. Remember the time that James and John's mother came to Jesus and said, Lord... When you come into your kingdom, can I get little Jim and little John to sit beside you on your throne? Jimmy's been working really hard and John's been working really hard too. They've sacrificed a lot to follow you. Do you think they could sit beside you on your throne again? That doesn't sound like a whole lot of meekness. Let's look out for number one. How about Peter? There are many examples of Peter demonstrating a less than gentle spirit. What encourages me is despite their personalities, Jesus never gave up on them, but he kept working on them and maturing them. Today, you may not be the gentle person that you want to be, but through God's grace and maturity and seasoning, you can become that person. Well, the first one was our personality. The second part of us being under God's control is our outlook will begin to change. Philippians 2.4 says, Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In other words, we must look outward rather than inward. There is a tendency for us to make sure that we are taken care of. I love the Burger King slogan, especially when I'm hungry. Have it your way right away. Well, that is an inward focus. Let's do it my way because I want to make sure that I get what I want. But an outward focus, on the other hand, is one that isn't as much focused on what I want, but what can be done to minister to those around me. I was talking with someone recently, and we were talking about how foolish we are when we are young. I'll tell you, I'm terrible about names. I still struggle with names. But Facebook has given me the opportunity to connect with a lot of people that they were my friends growing up. I got to tell you, sometimes I don't know who they are. I know I called them my friends and they are my friends, but I admit I was perhaps one of the most self-absorbed people as a teenager. I was always concerned about what I looked like. I was always concerned about what people thought of me that often I was completely oblivious to the lives that were going on around me. I will tell you, that is nothing but immaturity. And what it comes down to is I was inwardly focused rather than outwardly focused. Maybe there are others that would fall into that category, and I think you can probably understand the perspective here. I think there was a time that the only one that mattered was me. But I know today that the only one that truly matters is Jesus Christ. And through Jesus Christ, his love for the world around me must be addressed. My outlook had to change. Understand that gentle people are very understanding people. In 2 Peter 1.7, we read, Learn to put aside your own desires so that you will become patient and godly. This will make the next step possible, which is for you to enjoy other people and like them and grow to love them deeply. 
I wish I had time to really dissect this verse. Look at it one more time with me. Learn to put aside your own desires so that you will become patient and godly. The first thing is, I have to put aside my desires. I no longer live just for myself. Now, this will make the next step possible, which is you can enjoy others. Gentle people, they're not demanding. James 3.16 says, Wherever there is jealousy, jealousy or selfish ambition, there will be disorder and every kind of evil. Let's look at the W real quick. The words will change when we are under God's control. Actually, uh, it isn't things that go in one ear and out the other that cause damage. It is the things that go in one ear and get all mixed up and then come out of our mouths that cause damage. Let me restate that. It isn't the things that go in one ear and out the other. In other words, someone said something to you and you weren't paying attention and you just completely missed it. It isn't the words that go in one ear and out the other that cause damage, but rather it is the things that go in one ear, get all mixed up while they're in there, and then they come out our mouths. Those cause damage. Words under God's control ought to be different. The words that come from our mouths ought to honor him. Ephesians 4.29 says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. James is clear, isn't he? The tongue is a fire, poisoning every part of the body. The tongue is set on fire by hell itself and can turn our whole lives into a blazing flame of destruction and disaster. But no one, he says, can tame the tongue. It's always ready to pour out its deadly poisons. Let's accept the fact that we cannot tame the tongue with our own strength. But by the presence of Jesus Christ, all of us can have power over the tongue. The next point in this is our expectations should change. That's the E. Under God's control, our expectations change. When we're gentle people, we not only place our personality, our outlook, our words under God's control, but even our expectations. Ephesians 4.2 says, be humble and gentle, be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of, our, because of your love. Let me ask you a question. When someone disappoints you, and by the way, of course, we've all been disappointed by people. Are you gentle or are you judgmental? When someone disappoints you, is that a reason for you to lash out with anger? To let them know that they did not measure up? Or are you gentle and compassionate offering them grace? By the way, there may be times that individuals need to have someone speak up and say, you know what, what you did was absolutely wrong. I remember years ago, the individual who led me to Christ was a guy named Larry Mitchell. A wonderful man of God, a great preacher. Um, I remember when Larry had a moral failure, and he's no longer in ministry today. And I remember I had an individual who instructed me that I should probably contact him and let him know how much he disappointed me. And my thought is, why? 
he knew that he had failed. He knew that there was a sense of brokenness that was present. Why did he need me to let him know how he had failed? You know, there are times people need that. But I think that often God simply desires us to be that gentle voice that allows people to get up from their failure, not to kick them while they're down. A classic Old Testament example of this is found in Elijah. The greatest day in Elijah's life was on Mount Carmel when the fire came and God showed himself to everybody in town. But we know that Elijah went from this greatest day of his ministry to a time of depression. Off he ran and he said, I'm no better than anybody else. And he went right into the emotional tank. Basically, he was defeated. Remember what God said to him in that passage? God said, Elijah, I want you to go to the cave. And he tells him exactly where the cave is. This phrase right here has always amused me just a little bit. It's kind of like he was being sent to his room, knowing that dad would be coming up soon to talk about what had taken place. He needed a time out, and God says, Elijah, I want you to go to the cave. And you can imagine Elijah's thoughts as he wondered what God was going to do now. Man, I've disappointed him. I've blown it big time. I haven't been the man of God that I wanted to be. Where was my faith? Somehow I lost it. Where was my courage? Man, I lost all those things. I wonder what God's going to do now. Do you remember what he did? When he came to Elijah, he told him to come out of the cave and stand before him. And then some amazing things happened there on the side of that mountain. First of all, there was a strong and mighty wind, but the Bible says that God was not in the wind. Then came an earthquake, but the Bible says that God was not in the earthquake either. And then came fire, but God was not in the fire either. And then it says that there was a small, gentle voice And God was in the gentle voice. As Elijah sat there in this cave, Elijah knew the wrong that had taken place. And it would have been easy for God to respond with the earthquake or this mighty rushing wind or even in the fire and say, I cannot believe you have failed me the way you have. But instead, God offered him gentleness and compassion. What God was doing was he wasn't beating up Elijah. He was loving Elijah in his moment of failure. He was saying, I know that you're down. I know that you failed. I know that you feel bad. I love you. I forgive you. Get up and let's go. Many times we have been in a similar situation. Perhaps in a spiritual sense, we have looked at our lives and thought, Man, I have failed God so much. I've made so many foolish choices. Why would God ever love me? Maybe we've looked at some of the relationships that we entered into and we knew that they didn't belong, but we allowed them to take place. And for whatever reason, we thought, you know what? God can never forgive me. 
Maybe it wasn't a relationship. Maybe it was an act that you participated in. You guys know that I've worked a lot with addiction, uh, individuals who have struggled with addiction. The unfortunate reality is that most of those who struggle with addiction at some point or another will fall back into it. It's easy to get defeated to where you feel like, you know what, I've, I've failed. Now there's no hope for me. Well, there was no hope for you to begin with. But God offered you hope and redemption and forgiveness. And if God offered it before, what makes you think he's not going to offer it again? It's not to mean that you can't stay faithful, but understand that when you do have those moments, every one of us will have that moment where we think to ourselves, I have failed and God could never forgive me. And God says, but I do. And he comes to us with that gentle wind. And he says, here I am. Much like the woman who had been caught in adultery. And Jesus could have pointed out the law. Jesus could have actually even stoned her for her action. But instead of doing so, Jesus says, I do not condemn you, but you go and sin no more. It was that gentleness, that gentle response. If Christianity is anything, it's not people always being perfect, but it is people who want to be holy, who desire to do what God wants, and we are willing to let God's grace cover and forgive every sin that we've committed. That is that gentle act from God. I will tell you something. In the areas where you have fallen short, God's goodness and grace is there to cover for you. Receive it. So that you can now walk in freedom and victory knowing that sin has been washed away. It is behind you. Now you be like that woman caught in adultery. You go and sin no more. Now you choose to live in victory and freedom. The R, the last one. I'm sorry, I'm running late this morning. Is our response. Under God's control, the way we respond to other people ought to be different. Haven't we all said on some occasion, you make me so mad, you make me upset. Well, a gentle person is not controlled by the response of others. They're God-controlled. Proverbs 16, 32 says, better a patient person than a warrior, one with self-control than one who takes a city. I know that next week we're going to talk about self-control, but gentleness plays into the idea of being self-controlled. How do we become a proactive person, seek first to understand, then seek to be understood. Proverbs 15.2 says, The tongue of the wise adorns knowledge, but the mouth of the fool gushes folly. So many times we do this backwards. We want to be understood before we seek to understand other people. Seek first to understand before being understood. Let me close with a, a, a brief story of Stephen. We're talking about gentleness here. And as many of you know, Stephen was the first martyr of the Christian church. He knew the grace of Jesus Christ. And early in Acts, he stands up before the people and he proclaims what Jesus Christ has done in offering his life as a sacrifice. And he offers the people even the opportunity to repent. 
But as he speaks, the people become angry and bitter. At the end of the day, basically, they pick up stones and they begin to throw rocks at Stephen. As he lie there being stoned to death, he had two options. He could hurl insults and become angry toward the people who were doing this to him. He could actually demonstrate a sense of arrogance knowing that he was right. The message he was proclaiming was true. He could have responded in that way. Or he could have responded with grace and gentleness. You remember his prayer? Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. That is a prayer of gentleness. It's interesting. You can speak the truth and still be filled with a gentleness and love and compassion. We ought to be that kind of people. If you would bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Father, as we come before you today, Lord, there are a couple things that are really pressing on my heart today. One is the fact that there are many who have not truly displayed a sense of gentleness with our lives. When other people have said things and done things, for whatever reason, we've become offended. It's as if there is a sense of arrogance that causes us to expect more from other people, even though at times we have not necessarily displayed more ourselves. Some of us in here today need to become more gentle. And we need your Holy Spirit to be the one to do that work of changing us so that we can be more gentle. Lord, I also can't help but think that perhaps many of us have become like Elijah, where we have experienced your power and your grace, yet somewhere along the way, we allowed sin to take root in our lives. We had a moment of failure. We had a moment where we let you down. And for too long, we've been sitting in the cave waiting for you to come and discipline us. Lord, I pray today that you would restore us with gentleness. The choir sang this morning about your salvation. The fact that you can save us, that you have paid the price for us. Lord, I pray right now that if there be one that is broken and defeated, that at this very moment, they would know the comfort of your Holy Spirit. Where they have failed you, turn it into victory. Set them free. With every head bowed and eye closed, perhaps you're in that second group today. And you would say, Pastor, I have failed. I have participated in some act of immorality. I've not been faithful. I have not done the things that I need to do. I have done things that I know I should not do. And I have allowed this to defeat me, but I want to know the peace and the grace of Jesus Christ today. Would you just raise your hand real quick? I want to be able to pray for you. I won't call you by name. Thank you. I saw. Thank you. Thank you. Father, for the six hands that I just saw raised, Lord, I pray that at this moment you would set them free. Lord, I pray that you would allow them to know what it is to be forgiven. 
But I pray that you would not condemn, but rather that you would empower them so that they can go and sin no more. Lord, I thank you for your grace. Allow us to walk in freedom today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I need to apologize. I never let you guys out late. And I did today, so I apologize for that. I remember if you're planning on participating with the children's ministry for the new service, go see Aaron. He'll be in the choir room. Other than that, thank you for being with us this morning, and you are dismissed.